0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to, to be here. It's good to have the sun at the back of my legs warming me up. It feels good. So I'd like us to all remember a time when we were just really at our lowest point, at rock bottom. You weren't listening to anyone trying to cheer you up, and people were trying to cheer you up or encourage you. You were Most likely blaming the authorities in your life for all of the things that were going bad, because we tend to think that somehow the authorities in our lives should save us from every problem that we run across. Probably we're also blaming God for the discomfort and suffering and misery you were experiencing. And you were probably trying to comfort yourself in any way you could. I'm sure we can all think of, of those times. Well, that's where Moses and Israel are finding themselves. So we are working through the book of Exodus. We started the book with Israel experiencing almost at least 100 years of harsh slavery under the, the um, tyranny of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Uh, Moses was a, a young boy of, of Israel that um, was saved from the edict to kill all the, the newborn baby males. so his mom put him in a river, and the Pharaoh's daughter found him. And um, he grew up in the house of Pharaoh, as a Hebrew boy, uh, but he uh, eventually gets rejected by both Pharaoh's household and the Egyptians as well as his Hebrew people and finds himself in Midian. And so he's, he's struggling with who he is and what he's called to do and, and, and what, is, what his purpose is. He doesn't know who he belongs to, doesn't have a nation. And so we see Exodus unfolding with this story that God is working out through the nation of Israel, but also through the individual of Moses. And so we can see ourselves as a, as a people of God, as a church, uh, through the eyes of the community, the nation of Israel, but also as individuals through the through the life of Moses, and so God has called Moses through the the, uh, the speaking to him through the, the burning bush. God has called him to to lead Israel out of Egypt, and He has provided Aaron, his brother, to be a source of support. And so God has sent them into Egypt. God has made promises to them that he is going to deliver them. God has called them. Moses and Israel follow God's call, follow God's command to them to to prepare to be saved from Egypt. And we're going to see that everything fails. Chapter 5 is the story of, of everything failing. God doesn't seem like he's coming through. Moses and Aaron are making a bunch of mistakes, and, and everything just falls to the ground. So the story unfolds. So we didn't Mike didn't read all of chapter five, but uh, he read a good chunk of it. But we're going to start all the way in, in terms of what we're going to look at from the sermon here. We're going to start in chapter five verse one. So there are seven scenes, and when you're reading it, it, it's kind of hard to keep track, because there are actually seven different scenes with seven different conversations, and it's fast-paced. And so we're gonna we're gonna walk through these seven scenes so this is this is you know it's been four chapters where we're working up to this deliverance that god has promised israel and so they're gonna they're gonna step into back into egypt now moses is going back to egypt he hasn't been there in 40 years he's he's family with pharaoh and his family and so they're gonna stand before him and so the first scene is Moses and Aaron going to the elders of Israel, because that's God told them to go to the elders of Israel first. Um, and Moses was really insecure about this, because he's, he's like, you know, who am I to go and deliver Israel from Egypt? And they're not going to believe me. Who's to say, you know, how am I going to prove that you appeared to me? And so they go to the elders, and they tell, tell the elders of Israel, hey, God has met us, God has called us, Moses and Aaron, to lead the entire nation of Israel out of, out of Egypt, got, and they showed them the signs that God gave them, so they threw the staff on the ground, the staff turns into a snake, uh, Moses sticks his hand in his shirt, it's leprous, it's leprous, and so he sticks it back in and then it's healed, and so the elders believe. The elders believe. Contrary to what Moses was fearful of, the elders believed, and they all worshipped it says that they believed and they worshiped God they believed and worshiped God so so Moses and Aaron are at a place of a of a high degree of of confidence at this point all right so the next scene is Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh so Pharaoh's the king of Egypt and it seems like there, there's there's you could you could look at this one or two ways because You know, when Moses was afraid, he said, you know, God, I don't know if I can do this. I am slow of speech and tongue. I don't know what to say at the right time. And when I do say it, it all comes out mumbo-jumbo. And so God says, I will be with your mouth so that it could speak clear, and I will teach you what to say. All right, so he was very insecure about his speaking um, and what he was gonna say. And so when they go in to Pharaoh, they don't actually follow the instructions that God gave them. So here's what God told them. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt. Okay, so number one, the elders didn't go with them. Moses and Aaron went by themselves. And here's what you're going to say to Pharaoh. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three-day's journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Here is what they actually said. Even though they were insecure about what to say, they went in, again, maybe overconfident because of the success they had with the elders, or maybe feeling so uh, insecure at, in, the, in, the, in the place of Pharaoh. It doesn't really say, but they didn't follow the instructions that God gave them. Which means they weren't really depending upon the Lord at this point. Here's what they actually said. Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. There's no pleas. There's no request. It's It's a command and so Pharaoh's response, now, God told Moses that Pharaoh wasn't going to listen right away anyway, right? But still, they weren't following God's instructions. So Pharaoh's response, who is Yahweh? Now, who is the great I am, is what, is what Pharaoh said. Who is this eternally existing creator of all things, who has existed in time, eternity, past, and will exist into time, eternity, future. Who is this God? I don't know him. Who is Yahweh that I should obey? I don't know the great I am. I don't know this eternally existing God that you're talking about. I'm not going to let Israel go. I am not going to obey. And so we we can see here in in Pharaoh's statements a couple things that we see really throughout All of the Bible. Knowing and obeying God go hand in hand. If you don't don't know God, you're not going to obey God. And the more you grow in your understanding of who God is, the more you're compelled, truly is, the more you're compelled to obey. But we also see this that not knowing God um, makes you a master of yourself, you are your own master. And as we see in Pharaoh, not only is he his own master and he sees no other authority, he also will use every opportunity that he can to exert mastery and authority over others. Not knowing God leads to tyranny and slavery. So from this point, and and I did a little search on the the entire Pentateuch, and this is... um, This is the point where knowing God becomes a really strong emphasis of the text, where where God will repeatedly say, I am going to do X, Y, Z, that so-and-so may know me. So beginning now, God is going to make a number of statements that Israel may know me. I'm going to demonstrate my power so that Israel may know me, so that Pharaoh may know me, so that the Egyptians would know me, so that the other other nations would know me. And we're going to get to the end of it, and Pharaoh is going to be in a, at a point where he does indeed acknowledge, I know this God, Yahweh, I have sinned, Let, I am letting your people go. He will come to a point of knowing and obeying. But he's not there yet. So Moses and Aaron changed their tone. It didn't work the first time in this conversation, and so they, and so they... They, they pull back on their arrogance, and they say please, but then they also insert this statement. If, we're not, if you don't let us go, Pharaoh, God is going to destroy us in his wrath. No, God didn't say that. So I don't know if they are trying to scare Pharaoh, like, Pharaoh, if you don't let us go, you're gonna lose this entire workforce to God's wrath. So it seems like they're now using lying and manipulation to try to influence Pharaoh. They're They're not sticking to what God told them to say and how to say it. So there's some reliance upon themselves here still in this situation on their own ability to influence and to change Pharaoh's mind. Again, Pharaoh ignores it, and he calls, them, then they leave, and he calls in his, in his taskmasters, the, the people in charge of the Hebrew workforce. He says, listen, they have become idle. They are listening to lies. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to change the quota on the number of bricks that they're supposed to produce, but I want you to stop giving them straw. And so that's what they do. They stop giving the straw to the Hebrews, but they still have to make the same number of bricks. Well, in the next scene, the Hebrews can't keep up. They can't meet the quota of bricks that Pharaoh has set forth, and they get beaten at the end of the day. The the, the foremen for the people of Israel get beaten. And they're like, what's up? And so the the foremen, the taskmasters for Egypt, told them hey, Pharaoh has said this, you have to keep producing the same number of bricks, but we're not going to give you straw anymore. So the Hebrew foreman, after getting beaten, they go to Pharaoh and say, listen, we're not producing the number of bricks because your people aren't providing the straw anymore. And Pharaoh says, oh, no, that is indeed from me. So it seems like the foreman of Israel thought that the, that the, taskmasters of Egypt were just kind of being lazy and and lying to them, and they didn't want to do any more work. But Pharaoh backs up their story. No, it came from me. Same number of bricks, no straw. And that's when the Israelite foreman realized we are in serious trouble. We have endured a hundred years of harsh slavery, and now things have just become even worse. And then Pharaoh tells them why. You people are idle. You want to go off and worship your God. You're believing lies from Moses and Aaron. And so they now know the reason why Pharaoh has made things even worse. And so then they go back to Moses and Aaron in uh, the sixth scene. And they said, you have put a sword in the hands of our enemy to kill us. We are going to die. We're going to get beaten every single day because there's no way we can make this quota. May God, may Yahweh judge you. And the final scene is between God and Moses, kind of back where we started at the burning bush. Moses told God, who am I? (laughs) This isn't going to work. I don't have the skill. I I don't want to do it. So now God's back at Moses, and Moses accuses God. Why have you done this to your people? You said, God, that you were going to deliver them. And why did you send me? I just made things worse. I told you that I couldn't do this. Moses is at his low point. The people of Israel are at their low point. And Pharaoh is feeling strengthened. So it is exactly opposite of what Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel expected. See, and, and here's, you know, when you're reading, when you're reading and you get to chapter five, it's a really fa- it's really fast paced. It changes a lot of conversations. It, you kind of need to read through it a few times just to kind of make sure you're tracking with things. And then You know, in in the way that we read, we just stop at the chapter breaks. Oh, I've done my reading for the day. I've finished chapter 5. I don't want to read anymore. Well, in the original text, they don't have the chapter breaks. Chapter 6, verse 1. It begins, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. It's like things have hit rock bottom for Israel and Moses and Aaron. Pharaoh is at the top of his game. He has established his control. He has established his authority. He's getting more and more work out of these Israelites. And now God is going to do something. God is going to do something. So we know the rest of the story. Most of us, I mean, again, the, the story of, of Egypt or of Israel coming out of Egypt, it's whether you've grown up in the church reading your Bible or not, it's in a lot of narratives and movies and films and animations. Most of us know the rest of the story, and so we just kind of want to get on with it. We don't want to kind of sit here with Moses and the people of Israel quickly read through this chapter and we move on to when you know the 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 plagues will start God starts showing his power. But it's we need to stop and think and we need to sit here for a little bit. See God says that now he is going to do something and look at what has happened. God God didn't do anything in those seven scenes in those seven conversations. God didn't do a single thing but now he's going to. And it's not going to be because Moses and Aaron were obedient. Because they weren't. They weren't obedient. They didn't take the elders. They went in with a very um, arrogant posture towards towards Pharaoh. They didn't say what they were told. They even lied. They misrepresented God before Pharaoh. All right. So it's not going to be because Moses and Aaron were obedient. And it's certainly not going to be because of Pharaoh's mercy. In fact, Pharaoh has become increasingly unmerciful. All right, so, And it's certainly not because of Israel's righteousness. Their, their belief, their belief when Moses and Aaron came and showed them those signs, they believed, they worshipped, they're just like us. Things seem to be going really well. There's a lot of promise, so we're we're, we're living high, and we're excited about things, and we're hopeful. The minute something goes wrong, we boom, we're sunk. So it's certainly not going to be because of Israel's righteousness. They were up and down, up and down, and we're going to see that continue throughout the story of Israel, throughout the Pentateuch. So now God is going to do something, and it's not because of anything or anybody else, except his promises Again, it's not because of Moses and Aaron's obedience or righteousness. It's not because of Israel's righteousness. It's not because of Pharaoh's mercy. All of these things are opposite of what we would expect. And it's so that God, Yahweh is the name of God, the great I am. I have always been, I always will be. He is going to make himself known through his power. That is is the only thing that's going to be on display here. Nobody's righteousness, nobody's goodness, nobody's mercy, just a pure demonstration of the power of God to deliver. See, but we're, we're like Israel as people. We're like Israel and Moses. We get stuck in our low points. We stop listening to people. I mean, I do. If I'm in a low spot, and even you know, it might just be a few days. I'm not. I don't tend to be somebody who's stuck in a low spot for very long. It's not kind of not in my personality. But last year, I had a few months where I was kind of in a low spot, and there's not a whole lot anyone can say or anyone can do to kind of get you out of it. Sometimes we're in spots like that for years. But even if it's just a few days, you you know what I'm talking about. And and you start blaming your authorities. If they would have done this, if they would have done that, if they would have thought ahead, if they would have cared for me more or provided for me better or thought more long-term or done a better job planning, okay, we're all that way. We start looking at other authorities because it, it is the role of authorities to provide, to care, to meet needs, to keep their people safe. But you, you know what? Authorities can't do that job 100%. But there's something in us that wants them to do that or expects them to do that. And, and, and the ultimate authority is God. And so we eventually start blaming and accusing God, just like we see Moses doing here. God, this is your fault. You didn't deliver. You sent me. I screwed it up. Now things are even worse. This is your fault, God. Just like Adam, when he took the bite of the fruit of the forbidden tree, the knowledge of good and evil, he blamed God and his wife. God, you are the one that gave me this woman and she's the one who got me to eat it. So we blame our authorities, we blame God, and what happens is we just deepen in our fear, we deepen in our anger, we deepen in our maliciousness, and what we're going to see here in this story, and what and what's hard for us to remember, especially when we're in those those dark moments of pain and suffering, God didn't create. <clears throat> excuse me. God didn't create the suffering. God didn't create Israel's suffering. Now, God did call Moses into this place of suffering. But he didn't create it. He didn't create the slavery. He didn't create Pharaoh to be who he was. He didn't create the Egyptians to be who they were. It's, it is sin that has taken over people. It's taken over the world. God didn't create sin. But he did promise to do something about it. He promises to deliver from sin and the suffering of sin. And even though he didn't create it... <clears throat> He's going to use it. He didn't create the suffering, but he's going to use it. And he uses it for two things for his glory and for ours. And when I say glory, what I mean is, is an experience of beauty, an experience of joy, an experience of magnificence, an experience of honor, uh, an elevated state. Where you are just just taken aback by something so wonderful and wondrous and and awe-inspiring and it's grabbing you. That's what God is wanting to do. He's wanting us to He's wanting to us experience His glory. And when we experience His glory, we grow in our experience of glory as well. Colossians chapter three says that when when Christ is appeared, we will also appear with Him in glory. And so when God is glorified, his people experience that glory as well. And so God is going to take suffering, he's gonna turn it on its head for his glory and for ours. He's gonna maximize the potential for people to truly know him through, through the suffering. And there's, there's no way that, that what God is gonna do can be laid at the feet of anybody else. Moses and Aaron messed up, Pharaoh is is more harsh and, and cruel than ever, and the people are not righteous. No one can take any credit for what God is about to do. And we ultimately see this same picture in the story of Jesus Christ. The story of Israel is really the story of Jesus Christ in a lot of ways. You know, in centuries later, it's 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 you know you know something, but you deepen in your in your in your understanding or grasp or appreciation of it. So when Jesus is at Gethsemane, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, it's the night before. It's the night he's going to get arrested. He is celebrating with his disciples Passover. J- Jesus knew from the stories from hundreds of years earlier of the very event that, they have, that they're celebrating. Jesus was killed over Passover. Israel is about to experience Passover. These stories are in Jesus' mind. He knows that things got worse before they got better. He knows that that Israel and Moses and Aaron had to be at their worst spot and that Pharaoh had to be at his greatest spot for God's power to be maximized. So Jesus, in the same place, Garden of Gethsemane, this next day, that night and the next day would be Jesus' lowest point. He was arrested, beaten, mocked, stripped, whipped, crucified, and killed. And he knew all this beforehand, and he wanted to get out of it. He asked God, God, if there is any other way than for me to go through this pain and suffering and death, I'd I'd love to hear about it, but let your will be done. He didn't blame God. He didn't, even blame, he didn't even blame the Jewish and Roman authorities. He, he acknowledged before them, any authority that you have over me has been given to you by God. And it revealed, and Jesus knew that it was going to reveal God's greatest power, God's greatest feat, conquering death for good. People had been resurrected from the dead prior to Jesus. People have been resurrected from the dead prior to Jesus. What, what Jesus did is he was resurrected from the dead, never to die again. The first man to never die. And that's what God wanted to do. That was his promise in Genesis chapter 3, that we've, we've been working through this promise. For death to, to be defeated, for the promise of God to be made good, Jesus had to enter into death He had to enter into the worst. What we need in our lowest points at times, we need deliverance, and God promises deliverance. He does. Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I know that through your prayers and the power of the Holy Spirit, I will be delivered. And deliverance in Paul's mind, his definition of deliverance was one of two things. I'm either going to be killed, and released into the presence of Christ. and That was his preference. Deliverance for Paul meant that he would die. Or, I will continue to persevere through this suffering in a way that glorifies the Lord. That's what deliverance was to Paul. Death to be in the presence of Christ, or continuing to endure the suffering in a way that honors Christ. So what we need in the midst of our suffering, when we're at our lowest points, we do need deliverance. But deliverance in a different way. Deliverance in a different way. We need to see and believe. We need to see our circumstances differently. And we need to believe. You know, repeatedly, in the previous sermons we've covered this, it says that God saw the suffering that Israel experienced. God remembered the promises he made to deliver and to make these a people, these, Egypt, these Israelites a people. It says that he heard their cries for help and he knew the pain that they were experiencing. It's repeated. So in the midst of our lowest points, And you know, obviously, the the Psalms have have great examples of how to to think and pray and and cry out during these times. We need we need faith, and and if God would bless us with faith, that is the means of deliverance. Faith that God is there, He hears, He sees, He remembers, He knows. Faith in God's promises to deliver and to reward his people. Faith that our, that our suffering is not in vain and that our suffering, however long it may be, is, is actually there for a deeper experience of knowing God and his glory and therefore experiencing a, a greater awe and joy and glory and sense of magnificence and honor ourselves. that's what we that's that's what deliverance would be in the midst of these faith to to persevere through these things knowing that God will deliver and I will experience glory and joy and again we ultimately see this we ultimately see this in Christ and and, and we need we need to believe that we can't ultimately deliver and redeem ourselves But that God can through Christ. In in this section in this commentary, Leon Cass says this Only once we recognize completely that our own powers do not suffice for our redemption, worse, that our own powers have directly contributed to our misery, are we open to the possibility of having our hearts strengthened and our souls elevated by gifts divine. See, we can see that in, in Moses and Aaron. That they, everything that they tried to do indeed made things worse. And they went outside of what God had told them to do, thinking that they had something special that they could contribute. Just like what happens when we disobey God, thinking that if we try something a different way or whatever, we can make something happen. Only when we come to the point where we recognize that, you know, I can't deliver myself and I'm only making things worse, will we open ourselves up for God to actually do something. We need to shift our beliefs. We need to stop believing that the suffering will never end. We need to stop believing that our authorities don't care and that God isn't there. And to stop believing that the only way out of our problems is ourselves. And we need to start believing that suffering has a purpose. And we can see this again in in Jesus Christ. And it says that, you know, it's the faithfulness of Christ that brings us our righteousness and our deliverance and our faith in Christ's faithfulness. Our faith ultimately has to rest in Christ and his story, which is a greater experience of the story of Israel and Moses that we are finding ourselves in. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for this, this really uh, down-to-earth and, and reflection of the of human experience that we see Moses and Aaron and the Israelites going through. And God, through them, we can see ourselves. We can see ourselves, which points us to you and, and to the Lord Jesus. So God, our prayer as a people is that we as individuals will, at, could walk with you in this way, where we could see that deliverance is certain And that it is through honoring you in the midst of our trials. And help us, God, to collectively as a people, strengthen and encourage each other to persevere through trials and storms that are sure to come against your people uh, that we could remain one-minded, strong in love, God, for you, for each other, and, and for this world. In your son's name we pray. Amen.